Hey guys, Phil from Trail Talk here and welcome to episode two of the Trail Talk podcast where we talk all things news about mountain bikes, stuff about the channel and then also answer your comments as well. If you didn't want to watch me, I've got the links to all the podcast streaming services that we got. So we got Spotify, Google, there's a few other ones in there as well. So if you just want to listen to it, you can click on those links below. And as always, if you want me to answer a question, just leave me in the comments of the YouTube video of the podcast and then I'll get around to answering those in the next podcast. So it's been a super busy couple of weeks here at Trail Talk. So we reached 10,000 subs. So that's been absolutely awesome. The support that you guys have been giving me has been awesome as well. Love the word awesome. And it's been really overwhelming how many uh, entries we've got to the giveaway. That's been awesome. So we've got over 400 entries to the giveaway, which hopefully we'll get it to someone who really needs the bike. And yeah, if you do want to enter that giveaway, head over to the 10,000 subscriber giveaway video on YouTube and then all the information for entering that's there. But it's been overwhelming, obviously, how many people have entered, but also what people have been saying in the comments for the entries, there's a lot of people want to give the bike away to their dad, to their brother, to their friends. And that's been really great. It's good to see a lot of support there in the mountain bike kind of, uh, not industry, the mountain bike community. So that's been awesome. And it's been really overwhelming to see, hopefully the bike go to someone that really deserves it. And hopefully a friend can help someone out to get that bike. So yeah, that's been awesome too. So been some other great things as well. As I said, went to Belrose Bike Park. The guys over at Dirt Up were nice enough to give the team over at Bicycles Online a bit of a sneak peek. And you guys are gonna absolutely love this park. As you could tell in the video, I was pretty frothed on the bike park. It's been absolutely sick. The jump lines, they're super, super, the lips are super, super mellow. So they're gonna give you lots of confidence to progress. And especially when you go overseas to different bike parks, it's not gonna feel too foreign going on those big jumps. And Sydney has really been lacking with dirt jumps and that kind of stuff like that. So. It's going to be really great for people to learn and get a bit more confident jumping. So that's sick. So not quite finished yet. Hopefully kind of mid to late spring will hopefully be finished. Uh, they haven't done the kind of the access way. So the access road into it, the parking, and there's a few more buildings, uh, stuff that needs to be built. So it is an active construction site. So don't try and sneak in a ride. It's not open yet, but it will hopefully be open soon. So I'm keen for you guys to get a bit of a ride in there once that opens. So that'll be sick. I also got to ride in Wollongong for the first time. I know a lot of you guys have been saying, ride in Wollongong, ride in Wollongong, and it is absolutely sick. I had to go down there and film a bit of a project, hopefully show you guys that kind of end of August, early September kind of time. And yeah, that it's absolutely awesome. You need to get down there. I rode Possums, which is kind of a bit more of the man-built, bigger stuff around, not bigger in terms of features, but it's a bit more built up as opposed to more raw kind of trails. And yeah, super, super flowy. It's absolutely awesome. And then we when it did a trail up the top of, I think around Mount Kira kind of way. It wasn't the actual Kira trails, it was just kind of one of the connecting more mellow trails there and that was absolutely awesome too. So yeah, really keen to get back down there and do a proper ride and I'll bring my cameras to actually film a decent ride that I can show you guys on YouTube. So that'll be sick once I do that. Um, something else that happened, I pretty, had a pretty bad puncture the other day, not gonna lie, it was pretty terrible. Uh, I'll probably put it up on Instagram but I kind of went off a drop, well, we all kind of followed off a drop, and then it was kind of like a sharp rock, the transition, and absolutely smacked my rear tire on it, and just sealant just absolutely went everywhere. So, and that kind of prompts me, I'm kind of getting a bit sick of changing tubeless all the time, and sealant and all that kind of stuff like that. It's messy, and especially on the trail, if you do get a puncture, um, it's a bit messy. And then with inserts as well, you just kind of, with inserts with tubeless, you just kind of, adding a bit more weight and it's just getting even more messy and a bit more faff to try and change things. So I really wanted to try the Tannis tire arm. A lot of you guys have been asking, can I try it? And yeah, I'm gonna give it a go. So I'll try it front and rear. 
I think it might just be a good solution for me for the rear um, because it would just be interesting to see how it feels in the front because your front, you kind of want a bit more of that feel and it's a bit more natural with the feel going to the corners and stuff like that. I don't know how the insert will feel uh, cornering in the front, but I'm going to give it a go and hopefully it works out well. So yeah, I'm going to got two of those coming and then I'm also putting a Maxxis dissector on the rear as well. So I'll get a review out of that. I know a few of you have been wanting that as well. So it'd be good to have a nice, slightly faster rolling tire in the rear. And it looks like it still has great braking traction too. So I'm really interested in that tire. And I think it, it looks like it'll be my go-to tire, but I'm gonna try it. So hopefully we'll get that soon. So yeah, the reviews of that probably kind of around two to three months from now. So yeah, it's been pretty busy over here at Trail Talk, but yeah, I'll get into the news now. There's been a lot that's happened. I haven't done the podcast for probably around three weeks now. So there are so many new bikes that have come out and yeah, so let's just get right into it. So the first one, the bay, the bird, <laughs> the bird Aether 9. So as you guys know, I used to have a bird AM9 and I really liked that bike. Um, just, it was super stable, super, I was super confident on it. The rear suspension just ate things up. It was just, it just felt like it had a lot of travel. It had 150 millimeters of travel, but it felt like it had a lot more with not really any drawbacks that you would find of having a big travel bike. Like it didn't pedal as good as say some other bikes that I've tried in terms of like didn't have as much anti-squat, but the mid-stroke was really supportive. And I was kind of thinking, I'm like, oh, it was kind of like a little bit too much bike for me, just personally, I'm not the most aggressive rider. So I felt like I had probably a little bit too much rear travel for me, but I do like the similar kind of feel on the Alpine trail that I have now as well. That's kind of pedals a little bit better off the top. So I do like that in terms of that, but the bird just had a little bit more in the tank, if you know what I mean. So yeah, I was interested. I was always like, oh, hopefully they come out with a shorter travel bike because I'd be interested to try one out in the future. So yeah, they finally brought it out. So the bird I had was a medium long and I had 475 millimeters reach and that felt pretty damn perfect for me. But yeah, birds always tend to be on the longer side. So their medium long is equivalent to most other brands' larges. So a few details about the bike. So it's 130 mil 29er and you can run 130 to 150 up front. It's got a threaded BB boost, room for a 750 millimeter water bottle. Cause I did have an issue with clearance on my old one. It was a bit harder to fit bottle in. That's why I had that Canyon eject hydration system with the two small bottles next to each other. So it's good to see it's got a bit more clearance now. And I really do like how Bird lays out all the details. I've got the geometry. They used to have like static and dynamic geometry as well. So once it's sagged for a lot of things, which is interesting. And then all the details, they've got all the bearings there, uh, all the torques as well for everything. They've got really nice diagrams and it's really well thought out. You can tell they've kind of got that small business vibe and really want to give the consumers everything they need to work on their own bikes and really simple to kind of get any follow-up stuff or parts or anything like that. So. That's really cool and Bird's really cool too. As I said, with my few of the other videos I've done, they're kind of, you pick the build kit that you kind of want, say like an SLX, a GX kind of build kit and then you can really customize it how you want. You can change your brakes, your fork, rear shock and all that kind of stuff to get the bike that you really want. And the prices are really good too. So they are based out of the UK. So in Australia, you do need to pay a bit of import tax on the stuff coming in, but it is pretty affordable and in the UK as well, they're pretty popular because they are a bit more affordable and you don't need to pay, the, pay those taxes as well. So yeah, if you're looking for that kind of bike, definitely check it out. So the geometry of the medium long in the Aether 9, it's 77 degree seat angle, 65 head angle, 140 millimeter fork. You can go 130 or 150, whatever you really want. 484 millimeter reach, so slightly longer and then a slightly steep seat angle than my Bird AM9. 
and then you've got short 430 millimeter chainstays. My AM9, I think I had 440 millimeter chainstays and it felt really nice at speed, but I would have preferred something a little bit smaller, especially for Australia, more tighter technical stuff. That shorter chainstay feels just a bit easier to get around corners. So yeah, it looks like an absolutely awesome bike. I know the look will divide a few people. The down tube kink uh, is definitely a bit different and it might not please everyone, but I don't mind the look of the bike and I think it's gonna be a sick bike. So yeah, it's gonna, I think it's gonna be a great bike. And if you're looking for kind of a more mid-travel trail bike, definitely worth checking it out. So we also had a few down country bikes that came out. I know everyone loves that turn, which is pretty exciting. And I feel like one was kind of just there to tick the box and kind of just be like, yep, we've got a down country bike and we can fit that segment. And the other one was really well thought out. So we'll start with the box ticker first. And I feel like that was the Yeti SB115, so the SB115. And I feel like it was just kind of, it's just a SB100 lunch ride. So kind of like their long strokes kind of version of the SB100. So yeah, the geometry isn't really too flash. It feels like it's just been kind of a bit of a second thought and it's not too progressive, especially compared to the transition spur that we're going to about to, uh, talk about soon. So yeah, and it's weird because considering the SB130 and the SB150 are pretty progressive bikes, it would have been nice for them to kind of develop something a bit different. So we've got a 450 millimeter reach on the size large, 67.6 head angle, and then a 74 degree seat angle. And then as I said, you've got that 115 millimeters of rear travel and 130 up front. So yeah, it's a pretty cool bike. They pedal really well and I like what they do with the switch link. I feel like it is kind of a bit overcomplicating. I feel like a lot of dual link bikes kind of can do pretty similar kind of things without getting too complicated. But um, I know a lot of people like them and they do pedal really well. So. Yeah, I just feel like they could have uh, potentially done something a bit different or just called it an SB100 lunch ride because now it just feels like, yeah, a bit of a cop out. It's just like we brought out this new bike and it could have just been a lunch ride and everyone would have been like, oh, okay. But then they brought out the SB115 and everyone's like, uh, um, yeah. So we'll move on to the transition spur and I'm actually pretty stoked on this bike. So on the spur, comparing it to the Yeti, you've got a 480 millimeter reach, a 76 degree seat angle and then a 66 head angle. So this looks like a proper shredder. Um, has 120 millimeters front and rear, and then it doesn't use Yeti, it doesn't use Transitions Giddy Up Link, it uses actually, which is essentially a horse link, it uses a flex pivot instead, so there's no pivot on the chainstay or seat stay, it uses kind of the flex in the carbon to kind of do that flex there, so that's what they call a flex stay. So it's all carbon at the moment, no alloy builds, but yeah, I think it'll be a really, really capable bike. And then if you've got these kind of more fast flowy trails and more fast open sections, it can be a bit of tick there. I think these bikes suit it really, really well. But you can kind of get lured into a false sense of stability or confidence with these bikes. You can go really, really fast and then you hit some techie stuff that the rear suspension really can't keep up with and it can feel a bit sketchy. When if you've got a shorter bike that's a bit more conservative, you're kind of always in that point where you're not going too fast and you never push yourself into that next realm of, I guess, next realm of technical fast riding where these ones you kind of get lured into that section and it kind of can't keep up sometimes. So it'll be interesting to ride it, see if it can handle those more technical fast sections with the bigger hits. But yeah, I think if you're buying this kind of bike, you should, you know what terrain you're going to be riding and I don't think you'll be pushing it beyond those kind of limits. But yeah, it's just something I've noticed on a lot of these kind of bikes, especially something like the Norco Fluid FS1 that I reviewed a while ago. A while ago, the geometry was pretty on the pr pretty progressive side for a short travel bike, 
and it kind of pushed you to go faster and faster and the rear suspension just couldn't keep up. So yeah, it'd be interesting to try this bike to see if it uh, can handle a bit more of that technical riding. So moving on, we've got the new Evil Reckoning. So going from this small travel to this huge travel now. So yeah, sticking with these carbon dream bikes uh, <laughs> that most of us can't afford, but yeah, this thing's an absolute monster. The old one used to, used to absolutely steamboat over roots and rocks, so it was absolutely awesome bike, and it definitely was due for a geometry change, so it's nice to see that it's been updated. So it's built around the classic Delta link linkage, which I think's Dave's extra legitimate travel apparatus. I think I could could have got that wrong, but it's a Dave Weewell design. Essentially, it's the most complex uh, linkage actuator single pivot that's probably on the market. But looking at the geometry, You've got a 76 degree seat angle, 76.5. It's got a flip chip, so you can kind of make that steeper or slacker. It's better with the head angles. You've got 64.8 to 64, and then a 482 millimeter reach on the size large. So we're seeing most bikes kind of for the size large these days, kind of going from that 475 to 485, even 490 on some brands these days. So nice to see it getting a bit longer. And I think seat angles are kind of going to sit around that kind of 76 to 78 uh, degree range. And I'll go a bit more into the geometry and the nuance of it a bit later with one of the questions. But yeah, it's been, um, it looks like it's a pretty good bike. I think it'll be really good at eating up those kind of rocky, rooty trails that it used to. And I think you can just get a bit more added stability that the old one kind of lacked. So enough about these super extensive bikes. Let's go into something a bit more affordable. So the Specialized status, we finally got more information about it. We've been seeing it on social media everywhere. Everyone's been riding it, all these uh, influencers and BMX races and more gibbered car style riders and free ride stuff. So yeah, it looks actually really, really good. So it's finally good to get some more info, as I said. So it looks like it's on the more affordable end of the spectrum. So it's good that Specialized has brought out kind of an alloy enduro bike versus the Specialized enduro which is just carbon at the moment, this kind of like carbon race ready machine where this is kind of more alloy entry level built for more fun and absolutely slaying the bike park and that kind of stuff. So it's actually a mullet bike, which is interesting. I was listening to Guy Kesteven talk about it. I think he said it was, it could have been, it started off as like a 29 front and rear bike, but the BB was super high. So they're just like, well, why didn't you just make it a mullet? I don't know if that's the case, but I think it, could have been designed around a mullet first or could not be kind of interesting to see which way it was because I feel like a lot of mullet bikes that aren't designed to be mullet bikes, uh, they've kind of got weird handling. I knew a few of them I tried. It kind of felt like the bikes underseared a fair, fair bit. I think it was with the weight, sorry, the height distribution, all that kind of stuff like that. When you went to weight end the front end a bit more, it just felt like it wanted a bit and you had to really weight the front end to suffer from understeering. So that was just something I noticed on these mullet bikes. And then I feel with a lot of the races that were using it, they were kind of using it because out of necessity. Everyone else was on the 29ers, so they were going faster. And some brands just didn't have a 29er, so they said, oh, well, we'll put one up the front to get the benefits of that. And kind of just like the 27.5 inch rear wheels there just for the sake of it. Or it does work pretty well for shorter riders. They, with the 29, just feels like you can get kicked in the butt a fair bit and just feels a bit awkward. So. Yeah, I think that's the two main reasons. I don't think it was anything performance-wise. I think it was, yeah, they didn't have a 29er, so they put a 29er at the front to get the benefits. And then size-wise, it just didn't work out for smaller riders. I don't know if there's a big performance benefit from them. I know, obviously, they do accelerate a little bit quicker because of the small rear wheel, and they can be a bit more maneuverable, which I think is definitely beneficial for smaller riders. But for 
taller runners. I don't know if there's a performance benefit going with the mullet, but I think it does make it a bit more fun. But it'll be interesting to see how it rides, because yeah, if it's not designed around it, then as I said, that kind of understeer feeling that you get from the mullet bikes, I'm not a huge fan on. So yeah, well, interesting to see, see, see how it goes. So it has got very short chainstays as well. So 427 millimeters. So super, super short. And it's got a long front center. So that could even possibly contribute more to the understeer feeling when you've got that longer front center and shorter rear center. Your kind of weight distribution's not right and you have to kind of weight the front end a bit more to kind of get it to do what you want. So that combined with the mullet might make it understeer a bit more, but this is all hearsay. I haven't tried the bike. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. So yeah, I think it'll be super, super playful because of the short chain stay, but it is definitely looks like it's more on the active side from the reviews that I've been reading so far. Kind of similar to the Stumpy, it is a bit more active where the Enduro seems to be a bit really active still, but it seems to pedal a bit more efficiently. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It is probably a bit more of a heavy bike, this one as well. So, um, so it's got short C stays. So that also means you size pretty much according to your reach. Sorry, it's got small seat tube. So you size pretty much according to your reach. So Specialized has their new size system. So S1 through to S5. So you can pick kind of just based on the reach. So your S4, which I guess is equivalent to your size large, if you're gonna go for that kind of thing, it's 488 millimeters, so super, super long. And then the head tube angle is super slack too, so almost downhill, pretty much downhill realms at 63.2. So very, very progressive geo. So it'll be interesting to see how it rides. So there's only one build that I can find at the moment, so I think there might be only one build coming out, but it's pretty good build as well. So you got the Rhythm 36, which a lot of people actually prefer because it's slightly stiffer because of the metal that they use on the Rhythm. It's a bit more affordable, but it's a bit more stiffer. And then you got DPX2, Kodar brakes, so they've spent the stuff, spent the money where you want it, brakes and suspension. And then you've got uh, NX drivetrain, so they save some money there. Not a huge fan of NX, but yeah, definitely save some money there. So once that wears out, chuck's only on a bit lighter. So props to Specialized for making a cool, affordable bike. And it'll be interesting to see how it rides, especially with that mullet as well, with the super long geometry. So it'd be interesting, as I said, to give it a go down the track. So now onto the last bike. We've got the Fazari Delano Peak. So some of you might know, know about Fazari, especially I think people in the US will probably know Fazari a bit more, but yeah, they offer some really, really great value bikes. They're direct to consumer. They've got a 30 day trial period, I think as well. So you can try the bike for 30 days. If you don't like it, send it back. And their LaSalle Peak got really good reviews as well. So, which is kind of their more enduro bike. But we'll go into that a bit more in a second. So yeah, the Delano Peak, it's carbon built at the moment only, so only carbon at the moment. And it looks like a pretty sick bike. So it's kind of my favorite style of bike. So these kind of 130 to 140 mil travel bikes. So the Delano Peak has 135 millimeters of rear travel and then 150 millimeter fork up front. Um, what did surprise me a bit, it's so close to the LaSalle Peak that it's kind of almost crossing over each other because the LaSalle Peak rode a bit more kind of like the, an all mountain bike as opposed to an enduro bike. It wasn't the kind of lighter end of an enduro if you're looking for that kind of like that absolutely slay the downhill kind of bike where the Delano Peak is pretty damn close to in terms of geometry. So yeah, so it looks like they did learn some things from the LaSalle Peak. They've got uh, the frame obviously looks a little bit nicer, but the geometry is a bit different as well. So the LaSalle Peak I think had an 80 degree seat angle, which is a bit too steep, I think for most people, I think 78, which they've got now or 77.5 seems to be perfect so um and then you've also got room for two water bottles which is pretty damn cool too so 
The Delano Peak is, as I said, 77.5 degree seat angle, 480 millimeter reach on the size large. So I think it's 10 mil longer than the size large on the La Salle Peak. I could be wrong, but I think it is. And then a 65 head angle, which is pretty similar. So yeah, it's pretty similar to La Salle Peak. So personally, I probably go the Delano, just looks a little bit better. And Geo is probably slightly better as well. If you're kind of looking for that kind of all mountain trail style bike, I think this one's probably the one to go for. And the build's absolutely killer value as well. So the base build is probably the one to go for as well. So you've got 3,499 US dollars and it's an SLX 12 speed with DVO suspension, which is absolutely killer value what you're getting there, the geometry, carbon frame, room for two water bottles. Um, yeah, I think I said the drivetrain, suspension, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely awesome value. So, okay, that's enough of the bikes. So there's been so many bikes that have come out. Um, we'll go into some more forks now. So. There's been some killer forks that have come out. So we've got the RockShox Zeb that came out as well as the uh, EXT uh, era as well. So there's been some great stuff that's come out. So we'll start with the Zeb. So this kind of builds on from the never ending war between Fox and RockShox for the Burley Fork supremacy. So Fox brought out their 38 and then the Zeb had to bring out the 38 millimeter stanchion fork as well. So I personally would have called it a totem, kind of a nod to the old totem that was kind of like the single crown free ride by a uh, free ride fork that they used to have but they went with the zeb i feel like it was a missed opportunity but maybe they're bringing out a totem in the future um but yeah i've written the lyric for a fair bit and i never felt like it wasn't stiff enough but i think for free ride guys and races uh an even stiffer fork was probably the way to go and it should track even better so yeah, the Lyric was a bit stiffer than actually the 36 and it was only a 35 mil stanchion fork. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the Zeb compares to the 38. So onto the details now. So we've got 160 to 190 millimeters of travel. So that's crazy. You can have a single crown fork with 190 mils. Um, as I said, 38 mil stanchions and the weight's pretty reasonable too. It's actually lighter than the Fox. So it's 2,250 grams. Got the Charger 2.1 damper as well as the new Debonair spring. And these are slightly different. They're still obviously a Charger 2.1 in the top of the line model and then the Debonair Airspring, but they're slightly different models to the ones in the 35mm stanchion fork. So that's something to note as well. Those ones won't fit in. So there's five models with various levels of damper. So you've got the older Charger models and then there's also a dual position version as well. So I think it goes from 150 to 180 millimeters of travel. It'd be Interesting to see how that one goes. The old dual position forks, they didn't feel as good as the, the normal version. So it'd be interesting to see how they've progressed with the dual position forks um, in this era. I think they were built mainly for e-bikes from what they were saying. So initial reports look good so far. They seem a bit lighter than the Fox stuff, um, but you get less adjustment. Obviously the Fox got a little bit more adjustment and they have the bleed ports on the back as well. So yeah, that's something to take into consideration if that's something that you are looking for. Um, but are all these fork upgrades about to get blown out of the water? Uh, I don't know, but initial reports say the EXT era fork seems to be the fork to go for this uh, this year. So if you don't know much about EXT, they've done a lot of stuff for cars, racing cars, uh, motos and all that kind of stuff like that. They're really, really switched on with the suspension, real top of the line stuff for kind of that leading edge of racing. So uh, they also had the EXT Storia, which was their rear coil shock. It had like hydraulic uh, bottom out control and all that super crazy adjustment as well and everyone really liked that shock they became super popular on the transition bikes i know a lot of people were running them with the sentinels and stuff like that and they're probably from what i've heard probably the best feeling suspension shock that you can get 
uh, rear shock that you can get on a bike. So it'd be interesting to give one a go uh, down the line. So the EXT era, it comes in 29 only at the moment, which is interesting, but I think most people were racing on the 29, so I think they've kind of gone for that side of things. So 140 to 170 millimeters of travel, 36 millimeter stanchions, and then it weighs in at 2,270 grams. So going into a bit more of the details. So the air spring's pretty cool. You've got two positive air spring chambers, which pump up independently. You've got a negative chamber, and then there's a small coil on the top to provide a super supple feeling off the top. So you get that kind of nice supple coil feeling off the top, which should be really nice. And then the rest of the stuff works from after there. So it should be, should be really interesting to ride. I think it'll be have that super butter feel off the top. I think the DT Swiss has a similar kind of concept. I think it's the DT Swiss. Um, and yeah, it seems to perform very well. Very well. Um, won't go too much into the damp side, but it's similar to the RockShox RC2. So you've got high and low speed compression and just a single rebound adjustment. Um, and what's cool, it's got a different crown design. So the crown steerer unit, the, I guess the, the crown extends up onto the steerer. So it's going to provide a fair bit more stiff, a fair bit stiffer junction compared to the other forks in the market. I know foxes are plagued by creaky crown steerer units. They just aren't, don't seem to do the job very well. And I know a lot of people have warranty fox stuff because of that. So yeah, this hopefully should solve that problem. And other people might start copying it down the line, but yeah, again, this stuff looks really, really good. So we'll go into some questions now. Take a bit of a breath. That's all the news done. There's been so much news. Um, but yeah, we'll go into some of you guys' questions now. And we've got at Revolution Mountain Biking on Instagram. I put his tag there. He wanted a bit of a shout out. Um, he asks, should you upgrade your mountain bike or buy a new one? So I think if you've got a cheaper, more affordable bike, say something like an entry-level hardtail, um, I don't think it's necessarily worth upgrading it too much. I think you're worth, it's worth spending, uh, sorry, it's worth saving your money a bit more and then getting a better bike in the future because there's a limit to those, those bikes can handle, especially if they've got like QR rear end and a straight steer and all that kind of stuff like that. The upgrades, you'll get to a point where you just can't really get any better. So I think you would be better off saving that money and then purchasing a better bike in the future. So if it also potentially as well, if you have an older bike, so say something that's like five or six years old, um, possibly it might not be worth upgrading, especially if you're looking to progress a bit more into the sport and you're looking to do a bit harder riding, those kind of bikes will have their limits. And once you start servicing suspension, tearing it down and all that kind of stuff like that, you're spending upwards of 500 to $1,000 for all that kind of servicing and stuff like that, where you're probably better off just getting a more modern bike with better geometry and have kind of a fresh, a fresh kind of start to progress your riding on. So yeah, I think it's probably better off if you've got a bike in the last three years, then I definitely would upgrade it. But if you've got something older or a cheaper hardtail, then I probably wouldn't upgrade. I'd save a bit more. But yeah, something in the last three years with something a bit better geometry, I definitely consider upgrading it. But something a bit older, I don't think it's worth spending a lot of money to upgrade it into a more capable bike when you can get something on the more affordable end these days and it'll be a bit more capable. Um, Jonathan Burnham asks, is a 29er a good beginner size or should beginners start with a smaller wheel size? I don't necessarily think there's any real right or wrong here. Um, I think 29, um, 27.5 inch bikes will suit smaller riders. So when I was in a bike shop, if it was kind of a 11 or 12 year old um, and they were just kind of getting onto a full size bike, a 27.5 is definitely the way to go. It's just a bit more easy for the kids to maneuver. Um, and if you are short, 29ers can feel a bit cumbersome. So if you're going to those slow technical sections, it can feel a bit awkward 
with a 29er dropping into that stuff. So yeah, I, I wouldn't be concerned too much, if, especially if you are a small, extra small, then 27.5 is probably the way to go. But uh, I think 29ers will suit um, most people these days. And it, they suit different wheel sizes, do different terrain. So if you've got more kind of flowy, jumpy trails, then 27.5 is probably the way to go. Especially a lot of kids, they do a lot of jumping, so the smaller wheel size is gonna be a bit more durable. But if you've got more technical stuff, um, a lot of climbing, then 29ers will probably be the way to go. Um, I think it's also good to note as well, especially if you are going to be doing a bit of jumping on an entry-level bike, um, 29ers with a QR rear end are a bit more flexy, so they will be a bit less durable than, say, a 27.5-inch bike. So, yeah, I think if you're starting off, it doesn't matter too much, but if you are going to be doing a fair bit of jumping or if you are smaller, then 27.5 might be the way to go. Um, I had another question. I uh, can't remember who asked this, but it was how important are bikes with through axles? Is it better to get a good spec bike with a quick release or a basic spec bike with a through axle? So I think it really depends on how long you're going to keep the bike and if you are going to be upgrading and progressing into more technical terrain. A QR bike is going to be a bit more flexy and probably not as durable as you start as you start to really uh, start to really absolutely pin the bike down some trails and do some more technical stuff. So. If you do get the bike with the through axle, the upgradability is going to be a lot better. You can get stiffer wheels and most modern stuff is for through axles. Um, yeah, as I said, stiffer, durable. And I think if you do plan to keep the bike in the long run, I think getting that bike with the through axle is probably a better option because it is going to be more durable, stiffer, track a bit better down uh, rocky technical trails and yeah, should serve you a bit better. But if it's your first bike and you're just kind of entering the sport, then I'd probably just get a more affordable bike that doesn't necessarily have a through axle and then you can save up for something in the future that's gonna be a bit more durable, a bit more capable. Um, so, I talk a lot a bit about, I talk a lot about geometry and a lot of you guys kind of, it doesn't make a lot of sense to you guys. So I will do a video kind of covering geometry, but uh, Warwick asks, um, kind of paraphrase him here, um, can you explain all the terms relating to bike's geometry? So. I'll put up a photo, if you're just listening, listen, uh, listen as I kind of go through it, but I'll put up a photo now and we'll kind of go through all the geometry kind of stuff. So, so the head angle refers to the angle of the head tube and fork kind of perpendicular to the floor. So essentially it's how slack your fork is. So a slack head angle will be a bit more stable, better for more aggressive riding, while a steep head angle will be quicker to turn and a bit more agile. For example, most head angles for modern enduro bikes will be around 63 to 65 degrees. Uh, for trail bikes, you'll have 65 to 67, and then for XC will be around 67 to 69. So going to reach now, reach is a measurement used to describe how big the bike will feel when essentially you're standing up. So to measure the reach, you draw a line vertically from the BB, and then a horizontal line from the head tube, and the reach is from the point where these two lines intersect to the head tube. So Modern bikes will have a bit longer reach, while older bikes will tend to be a fair bit shorter. So again, on a longer reach bike, the bike will be more stable and allows us to run a shorter stem, which really calms the bike down, makes it feel a fair bit less twitchy. So there's also the seat angle as well. So seat angles are getting a fair bit steeper. There's two perks to this. Uh, the first, it allows the reach to get longer without the bikes feeling huge and more stretched out when you're seated and pedaling and a steep seat angle puts you in a more efficient position over the cranks when you're climbing on steeper sections of trail. So there's also your bottom bracket height, so your BB for short. So this is how low the BB is to the ground. A lower BB will rail corners a lot better, 
but you will need shorter kind of cranks to offset this. So if you've got a really low BB and say 175 mil cranks, you've got a fair bit of pedal strikes. So you might want to shorten your cranks as well. So moving on to the chainstay now. So this is a measurement from your BB to your rear axle. So a short chainstay will be a bit more fun and agile, while a longer chainstay will be a bit more stable. So it's really important to find a balance between your say chainstay measurement and then the front center measurement. So your measurement from the BB to the front axle. So it's nice to find a balance between those by, uh, points because yeah, you want to have a nice balanced feeling. If one's say super short and one's super long, it can kind of upset the balance of the steering. And I'll go a bit more into that when I do a video about that as well. So you want to feel nice and centered on the bike. So that's kind of a bit about the geometry of the bike and kind of how each measurement kind of affects the riding and what you should expect. But yeah, I think once you need to try a few bikes to kind of feel these things and how they actually feel because I can talk about all you want, but if you haven't ridden, say a super long reach bike, you kind of won't understand kind of the feeling that you're getting, say a longer reach bike, you'll need to weight the front end a bit more and all that kind of stuff like that. Something you do notice massively straight away is the steep seat angles. It makes it super easy to climb. So yeah, that pretty much covers it for this week. As I said, if you do have a question, just leave them in the comments of the YouTube video. And if you listen to this, head over to YouTube and leave a comment there and I'll get around to answering it next time. So hope you guys enjoyed this week's podcast and I'll see you guys on the next one. See ya. Bye.